Well, thank you, Lord. Amen. Lord's good, isn't he? All the time. Yeah, that's a good word. Hey, I wanted to just tell you, this is something I wanted to share with you that I know is happening in the body of Christ. And I have a friend who's really suffering, who has a church. His church is basically slowly being destroyed by uh, criticism and accusation. And uh, so it's, and this is not just an isolated thing. This is a, a thing that's really going on a lot in the, in the body of Christ today where people, it's like a spirit has gotten on people. And it's an evil spirit. Uh, anytime there's accusation that's loosed uh, on Christians, it means that we are doing the works of Satan because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So anytime we begin to get critical and start gossiping and accusing people of things, uh, it's actually a ministry, if you can call it that, a ministry of the devil. Uh, one of the things that has happened in our nation, like on a, on a prominent scale, is a, a pastor, Eddie Long, down in Atlanta, I'm sure you've heard about the, the charges that have been brought against him. We don't know if those charges are true or not. Uh, but the thing that was addressed by T.D. Jakes, who's a very close friend to Eddie Long, I suggest if you get on YouTube and put T.D. Jakes, Eddie Long, and listen to his response and what we should be doing about that. Uh, and basically, T.D. said, we just need to get under the blood because we don't really know what's going on. And everybody needs to be under the blood right now. You know, and so we need to be real careful because I, I see that. I, don't, I mean, I don't know what's going on down there, but I see that as just something that's prevailed everywhere. And it's really the enemy is trying to, to, to destroy the body of Christ. He really is through that method. And that's one of his main ways of doing it. So what I wanted to do is I wanted us to take a moment to pray. And, you know, if you have been guilty, which who hasn't, okay, who, if, we have, if you're guilty of being critical, if you are guilty of making, you know, of speaking things that you really shouldn't be, that you don't really know about, just let's just ask the Lord to forgive us. And just ask the Lord to put the blood on us and protect us from participating in the, you know, that kind of thing. Because I believe right now it's just a critical moment in the church where God wants to protect us from doing that kind of stuff. Are you all with me? Mm. So there's actually a church in this area that's associated, yeah, in Huntersville. So, so we really need to know that that's uh, it's just, that's just not that's going on with that church. We don't have any kind of opinion on that. That's really the truth. Now I want to tell y'all something. If you really want to operate in the mind of Jesus, you got to quit having opinions about things. Now here's the truth. Everybody has an opinion, but it's bowing your opinion to His opinion. It's saying, Lord, I, you know, what's your opinion on this, Lord? And the Bible's got a lot of things that are clear, but there's some things that are not clear in the Bible, and you can find out, though, by simply asking Him. And when you ask Him, if His opinion happens to be different from yours, you just simply bow and say, I agree with what, you, what you're saying versus what I'm saying. In other words, we need to always be asking the Lord our thoughts about things if they're in line with what He's thinking. Because if they're not, they're not good thoughts, period. Amen? So that's, a, that's a really one of the great secrets of getting the mind to Christ is bowing in your mind, bowing to your opinions, your feelings, your judgments, and all that kind of thing. And the Lord will give you His if you'll bow. So let's just pray a moment. Father, we, are, we realize that we uh, as, as humans uh, can really fail in the area of our tongues, of our, of our voices, our words. And you said there's power, the power of life and death has been given to us through, the, through our words. And, Lord, we have seen the power of God come 
in, in powerful miracles and powerful things that happened when a person spoke in agreement with you. And we've also seen the, the dark side, the destruction that comes. And so we're asking today, if we, are, or if we have that in us, if we are currently doing that, we ask you to forgive us. And we just renounce criticism. We renounce uh, accusation. We renounce, Lord, speaking evil things and ask you to forgive us and cleanse us, Lord. And, Lord, we ask you today, we choose to bow our opinions and our judgments. We, we choose to bow to you and say, Lord, we want your opinions. We want your judgments. We want what you have to say. And, Lord, we thank you for that. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All righty. That was good. So, anyways, we are talking about wisdom and how a wisdom's house is supported. That's really what we're talking about. And everybody wants to live a life of wisdom. Uh, and so, I believe, this is what the Lord, the Lord has shown me seven columns of wisdom, okay, of how that's a, that my house is to be built on. Uh you know, we're not talking about building the house. We're looking at our foundations of our house. And so there's seven things that Jesus spoke from the cross. And these are the most wise things that we could ever hear. It's, and so we've been going through those. Uh, and the, the Scripture, Proverbs 9.1, I've got it in the, from the message version I wanted to give you this morning. It's very good. It says, Lady Wisdom has built and furnished her home. It's supported by seven hewn timbers. In other words, it's supported by these seven pillars. So uh, we're not going to be able to build a house. We could build a house, and we could actually furnish our house. But if we don't have the right foundation, when the storms come, when the difficulties come, that house is going to have problems, major problems. You don't want to live in a house with a bad foundation. So if we have these things on board in our life, if they are a reality in our life, as a basic, basic foundation of our life, in the day of adversity and in the day of prosperity, because prosperity brings a lot of people down, but that's not the heart of the Lord. He wants, when He prospers somebody, He wants it to be a blessing, but it can destroy you. That's why, I, maybe I say, Lord, maybe, maybe that's why I'm not so prosperous, Lord, because you know it would be bad for me. I don't know, but, uh, but, but I believe, it, I just know this is the truth about what I'm telling you. I know if, you, if we can get revelation on this, then your life can be changed. You know, and you can see your house built and furnished and be safe no matter what's going on in the world. So, um, anyways, let, are y'all good? Thank you, Jesus. I'm glad you are. If you want, it wouldn't be my fault. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Matthew 27:46. At about the ninth hour, this is the fifth one of those columns. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Now, anybody who doesn't believe in speaking in tongues, there it is, written in the Bible. Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachini, or something like that. <laughs> that is, my God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? I just wanted to point out one thing before I go too far is, I always tell people when they're going through a hard time, it's okay to ask God why. Because Jesus asked why. Okay? And there's, there is a time of, of asking why. Now, you don't want to live in that world. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes God just don't tell us why. You know? I've got a few whys out there. In fact, I went back to this, this two days ago. I went back through some things with God that has happened that we've experienced and said, why did that happen, Lord? And why haven't you fixed that? And guess what he told me? 
Nothing. <laughs> so I said, I guess you're not really talking about it yet. But this is, uh, so that's really, I just want to give you freedom when you're in trouble. Because some people, you know, don't question God. I mean, come on. Get, people need to get real. You know, people need to be able to get work through their emotions and feelings. But you just don't want to live there uh, in the why world. Sometimes you just have to accept God's silence as being, He just doesn't want to talk about it. He knows better. But this is the uh, fifth of the seven sayings that Jesus had in and in uh, Matthew and Mark are the only. That's the only thing that they they of all the other sayings, the other six, they do not have any of the other six. They just have these two. The Luke and and uh, John have all the others. So you can see that Matthew and Mark both really. This was an important one, even, even though they didn't bring out the others. They really wanted us to to get this one. This is a very very important thing here that Jesus was was saying about being forsaken by the Lord. Because that's something every one of us are going to have to face in our life, and every one of us do face. The question is, where are you, God? Why, why aren't you answering my prayer? Why did you let this happen to me? Has anybody not had those questions to the Lord? We've all been in those spots where it just, when things were coming apart, we or crying out to God, wanting to know, where are you, Lord? Why have you, you know, why did you leave me in alerts like this? And I think God really wants to address that in our lives because this is what happens is people, if we don't get this thing right, when you get in your mess that you're going to get into, because there's no way not to be in messes in this world, that in, in your day of calamity, you will begin, if you don't have this revelation, you will begin ultimately to accuse God. Okay? And, and make everything worse. I've seen it over and over with people. They get angry with God because God is not answering their prayer or God is not doing what their expectation was. And so if you keep going down that road far enough, you're going to be upset with the Lord and then you're going to have some division between you and God and, and instead of your prayers being answered, it's just going to get worse and worse. Anybody ever had that experience? I've been down that road. But let's read uh, Psalm 22 one through two, just to sort of get a, a better feel for this. Just in case you didn't know, a lot of people don't know this, but Psalm 22 is the crucifixion psalm, okay? Psalm 23 is the burial psalm. Uh, you know, what does it say? Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, okay? And Psalm 24 is the resurrection and ascension psalm. If you go read those three psalms together, you get a very good picture of Jesus' death, Okay, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension to heaven. Uh, I'll just tell you this. I love this about Psalm 24. It says, Who is this King of glory? It says, Lift up your gates, oh, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and let the King of glory come in. And there's a voice that comes back that says, Who is this King of glory? Okay, now think about it like this. These people who are asking, these people are saying, who is the king of glory? These were the angelic hosts that God left in charge of heaven. This is so cool. I love this. He left these angels in charge of heaven when he came down to earth and died and went into hell. He left somebody in charge. And so here he is. He's raised from the dead. He's going back to heaven. And the angels are wanting to know, who is it? Because... There was a war that went on, and they needed to know, is, who's the king of glory? Is it, is it the Lord Almighty, or is it the devil who may have won? You ever thought about it like that? But it says, the Lord, strong and mighty, mighty in battle. That was the answer. Isn't that powerful? Like, I won. I'm back. 
I beat him, you know, in all heaven. That's just powerful to me. It's a powerful revelation of heaven, you know, wanting to know who's the king of glory? Who won that fight? As if it was hidden from them. It possibly was because they were asking the question. I love all that. Anyways, Psalm 22, it begins like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Exact words Jesus used. Now, make sure you understand Jesus was not quoting Scripture per se as He was dying because He was in agony. He wasn't throwing out Scriptures. He was saying what was coming out of His heart. Okay, it just happened to be the Scripture. Okay, prophesied by David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? Anybody ever felt that? Anybody ever said that? Where are you, Lord? Where are you? Why aren't you helping me? And from the words of my groaning, Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. Have you thought about that? Have you wondered, is God hearing me? Have you prayed and prayed and prayed, and it's as if God just did not hear your prayers? Uh, and in the night season, I am not silent. So you see what Jesus was trying to help us to see, this, this whole uh, thought of where is God in my worst moment? Where is God when I need Him the most? Where, is, where are you, Lord? Has anybody ever been there? I'm telling you, have you ever been there? When you were at your desperate moment where you absolutely had to have God to come through and God was nowhere in sight? Have you ever felt that? I mean, that is a rough day. It's a rough day when you... And I've not had this, and by the grace of God, I've never had this, but I know Cindy had this. A rough day when you stand there and look at a doctor and he says, you have cancer. you got terrible cancer. That's a day when you're saying, wait a minute, I am not supposed to have this. Wait a minute, I'm a, I'm a daughter. I'm a son of God. Where are you, Lord? Where are you in this? I promise you those are, are, are difficult moments to be in. And your life, the direction of your life is going to be determined at that moment whether you have this revelation, whether you have this, this foundation in your life that will carry you through those moments. Because we're all going to face those terrible moments. By the grace of God, none, nobody else is going to get cancer. You know, but there, trouble is at our doors. It's, it's waiting for us. You, you can't walk out the door without challenges and difficulties. You know, Dean's talking about Isaiah, Ezekiel 38, and it's starting to come to pass. It was so cool when Ezekiel 38 was just in the Bible and somewhere in the future. These, these, but when you realize it's beginning to unfold now, it's not so cool no more. It don't feel good anymore to realize these Scriptures are starting to be fulfilled. These really are perilous times. These are troubled days we're living in. It's not a party, you know, always. So we need to have this. Um, so I have, in my life, it felt like God has let me down. And, and I have lived through this. Uh, how many people have lived a life, I know you all have, how many have been felt left out? Do you want to feel, I mean, people feel left out. People feel like they don't belong. I can remember, this is, I can give you, this thing it manifests in everybody's life different. But every person is born with a spirit of abandonment on an orphan spirit on them where they're separated where they're left out where they're that's what the devil does to everybody your little precious child you have has that spirit operating on them whether you want to admit it or not i can remember as a child going to school and not feeling like i belong and feeling so intimidated and feeling so rejected in my heart but it was that spirit, okay, that was at work in me. And see, God wants to break the power of that thing over, over people's life. He wants to break the power of people feeling forsaken. He wants to break that over people and deliver people out of those feelings. 
So no matter what happens to us, we can say, my life has flushed down the tubes. I feel like hell has come against me in one, but I don't feel forsaken because I know I'm a child and I'm a son. If this hasn't worked into your life at that moment, you won't, you're going to have a, it's going to be worse. Okay? Now, one thing about crucifixions, uh, crucifixion was not a, a death penalty if a son... If Brian Summers was my son and he did something deserving death in those days, he would not have been crucified. He'd have been stoned. Okay, that was a more humane way, just stone him. But a slave, if I, if 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 Dean was my slave, I need you to be my slave. <laughs> if Dean was my slave and he did something to deserve death, he would have been crucified. You see that? Here's the only son of God, the only son. He was being treated like a slave. He was being treated like another. He was being treated like. Something awful, and and he and he got that kind of death. He did not get the kind of death that he even if he was going to get a death, he should have been stoned, not crucified. Do you see that? So that's a powerful statement. And another thing about this is the only time that Jesus ever personally addressed God. Now, now he talked about he would talk about God and use the term G O D God, but this is the only time in the New Testament where Jesus did not when he was speaking directly to God, where he said he didn't call him Father. You get that? He did not call him Father, then he called him God. A lot of people can call God God, but not everybody can call him Father and truly call him Father. The only people that can call him Father is, is his sons and daughters. See, at that moment, Jesus was at a point in his, in his heart, his life, where he no longer felt, he felt like he was abandoned. Did I read that definition of being forsaken? Did I read that? I'm confused. I, I read it in the first service. I was thinking I read it. Let me read, give you what forsaken means. Leaving someone in a state of defeat or helplessness in the most hostile circumstance. Aban- but to be abandoned, to, be let, to let someone down. Jesus felt like the Father had let him down. Jesus felt like the Father had abandoned him. The, Jesus felt like that he was left in a state of defeat and, and he was totally helpless by God the Father at that moment. Now that is very important. He did that for us so that we could really get this revelation that he had experienced that. We don't have to experience that. Okay, that's the key in all this, that God really wants that foundation in your life that you don't have to be abandoned. You don't ever have to feel abandoned. You don't have to feel like God is not going to help you in the midst of the times when it doesn't feel like He is. He wants you to know that He, he's, he is there. Is, is, are you all tracking with me? Okay, let's look at Genesis 22, 1 through 14. This is how I'm going to do this. This is good. Okay, most of you know this story, Genesis 22, 1 through 14. This is the story of Abraham, when God came to Abraham and asked him to give up Isaac and sacrifice Isaac. There's revelation in here. Okay, there's some good revelation in here. Uh, so I want to read that and just make some comments to, to you that will re- relate to this. Ooh, mercy, Lord. Am I talking too fast? No, I slowed down this morning. Oh, the Lord wants to do more, you know? I mean, come on. God wants to do a lot more, you know? All right, so here it is, Genesis 22. Lord, do more. Now it came to pass after those things that God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, and he said, Here I am. said, Abraham, here I am. 
God, so you and I really need to get something. You and I on this earth are going to be tested and tested hard on things. And God allows us to be tested, okay? So that's, I'm not here to give a message on being tested, but I am here to tell you, tests come our way. It's big, it's very important to your faith about your test, about being tested. Uh, And then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac. Uh, the New Testament equivalent to that word, your only son, is your only begotten son. That's what that means in the Hebrew, your only begotten son. Just like God had only one begotten son, God was saying to Abraham, take this only son that really came from you and your wife. Take him now, okay? The son whom you love. Take your son Isaac, whom you love. Now, this is interesting. This will really get you, Okay. This is the first time in the Bible that the word uh, love is recorded. The first time in the Bible that the word love is recorded. If you don't believe it, get your concordance and go out and type love in it, and this is the first one at the top of the list. I thought there was something wrong with my concordance. I thought, oh, this computer's messed up, man. There's a glitch in it. And surely God said something. He had 21 chapters to talk about love, and God is love. Surely He would have brought out that point before now. I don't lose that, but he didn't because he saved it for a special moment. He saved it for this moment because he wanted people to know love is very important to me, and I really want to to present love to you in a special way and let you know what the Father's love is really all about. So I'm going to save it for 21 chapters, which was a lot of time because a lot of people and a lot of things happened, you know, before, you know, we had Noah, had all these big-time people, Enoch, you know, I'm saying, surely you said something about love with Enoch. You know, surely you did with Noah. Surely these were the great people before Abraham showed up. And he didn't. He saved it for this moment. I think that's pretty, pretty revelatory myself. And it says, Take this son whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. And this is interesting about the land of Moriah. The land of Moriah had several mountains on it, okay? Because he said one of the mountains. You know what one of the mountains was or is in the land of Moriah? It's Mount Calvary. It's where Jesus, Golgotha, it's where Jesus was crucified. That's pretty interesting. I mean, God was really trying to to reveal something here to us about himself and about how he feels about and Moriah is an interesting uh, name. Is it means it comes from a word that means the the base word means to see, to see. It means the revealing one, meaning the Lord who is is more than a provider. That's what it means. So here here it is in everyday language versus some you know Hebrew thinking language that doesn't work in my little brain. I had to kind of sort through that. Now, how, what does that mean to me, Lord? What are you really trying to say to good old 2010 North Carolina people? It says that the Lord. This is what it says: the Lord sees our future and has made provision for every need. We will ever have. The Lord sees our future and has made a provision for every need. And the story reveals it. Every need. I, if you remember, I hope you do, when I talked a while back about how as believers, our future is meant to impact our present. Most Christians live out of the past, or most Christians are living in this very moment where God has said, No, I created you to live in the future. 
I created you to look down to the future and see the future because that's how Jesus lived. Jesus, everything Jesus did on this earth was based on a future event in His life that had not happened, the cross. Every healing, every miracle, everything He did, everything that made Him the Son of God happened in the future of His life. And that's why, you know, healing and stuff, inner healing, all that stuff, it's good to get your past dealt with, get it under the blood so you can live from tomorrow. The example I gave, which is a great example, is like driving your car. If you drive your car looking in the rearview mirror, it's going to be bad. Right? You're going to have a wreck. But if you look ahead like most people do, they see something happening ahead and they adjust their, their moment for what's happening ahead. Well, we think about it like this. We are, this is what our future is. Our future is heaven. Right? That's what our future is. We're going to live in heaven forever. So what God is saying to us, listen, you need to start living here like you're already in heaven. You need to live your life here because that's your future. Like Jesus lived his life like he'd already been to the cross, already died, already got the beating so people could get healed. He already saw it and said, well, I'm going to go ahead and start healing people today based on that beating I'm going to get in, in three years. That's what he did. I, I'm going to get a beating in three years by his stripes. I've been healed. You, you've been healed. I'm going to go ahead and start doing it now for these people that I'm here with. That's how Jesus lived his life. Everything was based on a future event. Isn't that powerful? So God wants to teach the people of God how to see the future. That was one of the things he was trying to reveal here. I want to teach you how to look into the future and live your life based on what you're seeing there, not live your life on what's happening yesterday or, or what's on the news today. I think that's pretty good. So God's teaching us how to do that. So that's what Moriah has a lot of good in, insight to it. All right, it says, So Abraham rose up early in the morning. So that speaks of a man who does not have delay in obeying the voice of the Lord. He just got up. The Lord said, Go. He got his hide up. And he was having to deal with these thoughts. I'm sure uh, he was not telling Sarah, like, Well, the Lord spoke to me, Sarah. Guess what? He told me to kill Isaac. You know, I'm sure he would like, well, where are y'all going? Well, we're going to go, you know, visit some mountains. The Lord wants me to go. I'll tell you about it when we get back. It's all good. You know, I can imagine him saying that like inside, like, well, no, Lord, what am I going to do? He rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood. Abraham split the wood. See, this is what we got to get. When God tells us to do something, we got to do it and and. and and God didn't split the wood for him. A lot of people feel like God told me to do something, and they think it's like Peter when he was in jail, and the angels came to him and said, Peter, get up! And the chains fell off of him, right? But then, guess the next thing the angel said? Put your pants on! We ain't putting them on for you. You can put pants on, but you can't take chains off. And the Lord was saying to Abraham, Abraham, you can split the wood. Now split the wood. I've told you what to do. You split the wood. You can split it. You've got the strength in your body to pick up an axe. And I think a lot of times we miss the Lord because we're not doing what He's asked us to do. We're thinking He's going to do it. And He says, no, I'm going to do my part, but you've got to do your part, and your part splitting the wood. Well, you know what the wood here is. It's the cross. And uh, he split the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, third day is pretty interesting. That's the day Jesus was, was resurrected. That's the day that Isaac got resurrected in a sense. Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place far off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, the lad, and I will go yonder and worship. Just, the, just Abraham and Isaac alone went 
to go. And this also is the first time in the Bible where the word worship is recorded. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? So you got in one, a few verses, you got love and worship for the first time. And everybody in here that are brilliant people know that there's this rule that these brilliant people use in interpreting the Bible. It's called the law of first mention. And that's, that basically says this. This is the, the redneck. Man, I need to send y'all. Somebody sent me this. They sent me the, the Ten Commandments in Tennessee language. It's like one thing, don't mess with another fella's wife. That was the don't. don't mess, no killing. It was, it was really hilarious, man. I thought this is a good And they said this was actually in a church up there in Tennessee. No, don't mess with another fella's wife. Don't go, don't go lust, go something like don't try to get your buddy's stuff or something like that. Anyway, I thought that was pretty good. But the, um, back to what we were talking about, somewhere or another we got lost in the, in the translation. Oh, the law of first mention. In other words, when, the, when something first is, comes up in the Bible, that sets, that sets the, the dimensions, that sets the rule, that sets how that thing has to be interpreted until it's superseded by something greater in the Bible. Like Jesus superseded the law, and he clearly stated he superseded it. He said, I've already fulfilled that. Okay? So this is the, t- the place in the Bible where we can learn the most about the love of the Father and how, you know, the dimensions of it and how it is and the worship by, by the, the law of first mention. It really, is a, it really is a true law of interpretation of the Scripture. So you've got love and worship in this context of a, of a revelation of the cross. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? And uh, so, um, so Abraham... And he said, we will come back to you. We. He didn't say, I. We will. So he was really being the father of faith. He was really, or father of hope probably. Yeah, I mean, I would have been the father of hope. Like, we're going to come back. Don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. I can't. Can I, I just can say this. I can just imagine telling Becky, me and Philip are going somewhere where the Lord's told me to kill Philip. Well, and we're going to come back. You know, me and Philip will be back. I'm thinking, what, how am I going to tell her when I get back that I kill my son? You know, what am I going to do? It's going to be all right, right, Andrew? <laughs> I just I just sort of like to put myself in these stories and how the people felt. I can't imagine how Isaac was feeling. Like, dang, Dad's going to kill me? God, is that being mean that he's going to let Daddy kill me? I mean, you've got to be kidding. And he's probably these two servants like, well, man, this is getting really weird. This God thing has gotten messed up. Now they're going to start killing his kids. You know, this is the child that we had prayed for for 14 years. Wasn't that 14? 25, 25 years. Wow, it got worse. And now he's got to kill him. And so Isaac, uh, they, so Abraham took the wood of the burnt off and laid it, laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. Notice he laid the wood on Isaac. Doesn't that speak of Jesus bearing the cross, walking up there to Calvary? That's what it really speaks of. And one thing that I wanted to bring out about that this morning is... A lot of Christians, this is where I see a lot of good Christian people who love the Lord and want to serve the Lord. They are burning themselves out doing things that God didn't call them to do. And they're wearing themselves out because they're carrying something God never asked them to carry. Jesus said, my burden is light, my yoke is easy. So people will do stuff in their zeal and then guess what they don't do? They don't do the things, the really the things that God really wants them to do. And the reason they don't is because they're tired from doing the thing that they thought was a good thing to do. That's happens to a lot of people. So what you had to do is you've got to do what God's called you to do so you can 
do, you know, and not do all this other stuff. Another thing has to do with yokes, okay? This is really important. Uh, a lot of preachers and pastors and leaders are very yoked to the desires of people in the church. In other words, they want to make everybody in the church happy. If I can make everybody in the church happy, be fine. Well, let's just face it. That is not what you're supposed to be doing. That's a, that's a yoke of man. You should be yoked to the Lord. You should be making God happy. And then everything else works out one way or the other. Well, they ain't going to like it or they're going to like it. That, but you can't do anything about that. If you will please the Lord, then He'll even make your enemies Right? If you will make that the number one priority in your life, to please God, eventually your enemies will even be, be good with you. And that's the way it has to be. I can give you my old story about coaching Little League. Y'all want to hear that story? This is my one bad day when I got really rebuked really bad. It was, at the, it was at the end of the season. We had a real successful season, too. We won a lot of games. In fact, we, I think we played in the... I was one of the coaches on the All-Star team. That's how good we were. And... uh but what happened was at the, at the meal, you know, you had a little thing, a little celebration. We gave all the kids trophies, and you had team mom. We had a team mom there was from up north. So she didn't cut words at all. I mean, she didn't cut words. She just told it like it was. This is her words to me. Byron, I got something to tell you. I said, okay. I thought I was going to get some nice thing from her because she'd always been relatively nice to me. You know, but this day she said, I'm, I'm just going to tell you something. You really did a great job except for one thing. You tried to make everybody happy, and you made nobody happy. That's what she said to me. And I thought, oh, Lord. She said, you might be a much better case if you just go out there and do what you need to do and let people be happy or mad. That's what she said to me. You, you try to make everybody happy, you made nobody happy. And, you know, the person I was most unhappy with was me. When it came right, really came right down to it, I was most unhappy in my own heart because so I made some decisions because I was trying to make everybody happy. And in the end, literally, I had people calling the commissioner about me, parents complaining about me and what I did with their kids. I wouldn't let them do something. I wouldn't play them in the position they wanted to. It was terrible. And I learned that lesson the hard way. And I appreciate that woman saying that to me because it really was the voice of God in my life. To tell me, don't be doing that with your life, Byron. You just you do you do the right thing. You do what pleases me, and then let let ships fall where they will, and it's going to be okay. You don't have to you know confuse your life of all that. Now that doesn't mean be mean to people. It means be graceful to people. You know, be graceful, be nice, but do the right thing, even if even if everybody's mad. Just do the right thing. Do what what pleases the Lord. Amen. And we all need to do that, and especially little league coaches. You know, that was a rough year after that, man. Anyways, uh, where was I? Then, uh, okay, but Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, Father, can you just imagine that walk Abraham took with that boy? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what he was feeling in his heart? I mean, I just could not imagine walking up that mountain thinking, I'm going to have to kill him because I'm going to have to obey the Lord. What in the world is... See, there's times that God puts us in situations and it just seems like, Lord, I just don't, I have no clue what's going on here. I can't, I don't, I can't figure this out. None of this makes sense. I just don't know. But I'm going to keep walking up that hill because you said walk up the hill. And even though I may not understand it, I may not feel good about it. In fact, this may be killing me. If you said walk up the hill, I've got to walk up the hill. That's the kind of heart we've got to have. You hear what I'm saying? Even though you may feel all this stuff, but you can't let those feelings 
deter you from what God has called you to do. Uh, he said, look, the fire and the wood, but there, where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Isn't that powerful? God will su- supply for himself. And the Lord did. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there. God built the cross. God the Father took the cross and made the cross. The Bible, this is what it says, uh, Isaiah 53.10, 10, it says, It pleased God to crush him. You know what that word means, please? God took great delight in crushing Jesus Christ. Think about it. The Father, a Father. I could not imagine having great delight in crushing my son. It is not something you and I will ever understand with this mind. But I do know this. He took great delight to crush him, to build that cross, to put him on that cross, because God so desired us. He so desired this relationship with us. He so desired that we could have that same relationship with him that Jesus had with the Father. That he was actually pleased. He took great delight in all this. That blows your mind that he would delight in causing Christ to suffer like he suffered and go through what he went through. Is that, does that blow your mind? It blows my mind. I can't, it just tells you how much God craves us and loves us and desires it, that he would go beyond all his feelings and passions for the, his only loving son. For us, that's powerful if you can get it in your heart. And if you can get that in your heart, your life will change. God will provide for himself a lot. Abraham built an altar and there placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the water upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the, the knife to slay his son. So he was going through with it. But, that's a big word in the Bible, right? But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Don't you know Abraham was glad to hear that? You think Abraham had that knife and he's thinking, oh, please, please. I'm just going to just be real slow and methodical about this, hoping something's going to happen. Can you imagine? He's getting right there at his neck, fixing to do that, and he hears that. That was pretty good. I mean, I guarantee him, like, whew, I knew God was going to come through. I just knew something was going to happen. If that ain't God, I'm going to believe it's God. I don't know who that is, but I'm believing it's Him. It may be the devil calling me, but I'm going to pretend I think it's God. At least it's going to give me some more time. I'm just messing with you. But I'll tell you this. There was no angel that day when they put Jesus on that cross to stay God's hand. There was nothing. There was no intervention. There was no intervention. Nothing from heaven said, stop. No, heaven said, go all the way with it. All the way with it. All the way, all the way, all the way. You've got to go all the way with it. Woo, mercy, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you did that. Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear the Lord. See, somebody will get mad at God about this, about why would God, you know, because they don't, because they're thinking with a carnal mind. And so, here's what you do, okay, when people say that stuff. You can't debate people about that stuff, okay, because they're, they don't know the Lord. They don't have a revelation of Christ. You can't fuss at them. You can't fuss at unsaved people for being jerks and, and saying lewd things and acting lewd because they don't know any better. You know what I found best? I'm just off on the soapbox here. What I found best when I was in, in, the, in the engineer world working around people that were vile 
and using the Lord's name in vain and doing vile things. It was not to preach at them and judge them and criticize them, but love them and, and, and create friendship with them. I had some of those very vile people come to me in their worst moments saying, Byron, will you please pray for me? I'm in a mess in my life. I've done messed up with my wife. And, and will you think they would have come to me if I would have been talk, talking down on them and preaching down? No. And see, that's one of the, the faults that we have as believers. We want to go correct the world without really bringing them into an understanding of who the Lord really is. That stuff just doesn't work. Here's what lost people are doing what they're supposed to do when they're acting like that. That's what lost people do. They are vile. They're supposed to be. Right? Without Christ, that's what we are. That's what I was without Jesus. And, and you could have told me all day long to correct myself, but all I would have did was sneer at you. Like, what an idiot. I'm staying away from them. I don't want nothing to do with them. So what we do is we do what God did. You overcome evil with good. The goodness of God leads you to repentance. Are y'all following that? That's a good way, I think. And I have a lot of people that loved me to death that were very unsaved Christians. because I, You know why they loved me to death? Because I loved them. I cared for them. I showed interest in them. I listened to them. You know, instead of judging them. You know, because there's a lot other... I had other Christian friends who did the opposite. And it didn't work. Anyways, are y'all okay? I'm not trying to preach at you. Anyways, uh, don't lay your hand, blah, blah. You know, verse 13. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horn. So Abraham went up and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. That was the Lord's way. That was the Lord's provision at that moment. Then, this is verse 14, And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, which means Jehovah-Jireh. Isn't that powerful? The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. In the mount of the Lord. In the mount. That's the... That's Calvary. That's the cross. Now listen, that Jehovah-Jireh, here's what it means. If you were a really cool person who understood Hebrew, like some people don't, <laughs> it means three things, the Jehovah-Jireh. It means three things. It, it means, number one, God will see. God will see. See, God is looking at your life, and He sees your life. He's looking. He sees what's going on in you. He sees the thing you're going Number two, God will provide. And number three, we will see God. God sees us, God provides, and we're going to see God. In other words, we're going to see the provision of the Lord. And that's what this thing is all about. This thing, this thing I'm talking to you about this morning, this pillar, is God providing for you in your life. In your worst moment, God is saying, I look, I'm seeing your future. You have a future. You have a future. Your future is not a casket. Okay, you, until a long time from now, you need to get that Abraham, Moses revelation where God has to tell you. That's what I was saying earlier. God has to tell you. It's time for you to die. Would you just die now? You're done here. But we shouldn't die because our bodies are wrecked with disease. That's, if, if Moses could get away with that, we've got to call on the Lord and say, we've got to get away with that. God has a future for everybody. God says, I see your future. I want you to see this future. I'm going to provide for you. Because I didn't provide for Jesus in His worst moment. I deserted Him in His worst moment. I did not answer His prayers in His worst moment. I left Him in a lurch because I didn't want to leave you there. 
So I did it to him one time. And the time when you feel that, you can say, wait a minute. This is a feeling. It's a lie from hell because Jesus suffered this already. And I believe what he suffered means I don't have to suffer. So I don't understand why this is happening, Lord. I can't figure it out. But I know one thing. I am not abandoned. I'm not abandoned. You have not abandoned me. Everything has fallen apart. I may not have a, a bite to eat. I may not have, you know, no hope for a bite to eat, but I'm not abandoned because Jesus suffered abandonment for me. Now, that's a, and when you get that revelation in your life, things are going to change. Because did I, I don't know if I said it, I'll say it again. I hear a lot of people, things go wrong, and they want to start accusing God. They get upset with God. And what I'm trying to tell them is, listen, all you're doing is prolonging your trouble. All you're doing is pushing God away from you. Instead of finding God and saying, okay, I don't understand it. I don't like it. I don't believe in it. None of that stuff. But I do know one thing. God has not forsaken me. God has not left me in a lurch. Because He did it to Jesus already. So I wouldn't have to be. You got that? That is a foundation of your life. And when the storms come, they will not blow that foundation. There's no storm. There's no storm that can blow that foundation out from under you. None. But it comes by revelation. Okay? It comes by revelation. John 14, 18. Pam's doing a great job. Everybody give Pam a big hand. Because she is a grandma. She's a grandma now. And she had her baby back there earlier. Isn't that awesome? So that's a high calling to be a grandma. I'll tell you that. Uh, anyways, John fourteen eighteen says, I will not. That's Jesus' word. I will not leave you as an orphan. I will not leave you as an orphan. I will not leave you abandoned. I will not forsake you. I will not. I will not. Now, either that's the truth or it's not the truth. I declare it's the truth when we get this revelation that the spirit of the orphan spirit, the spirit of abandonment, all that junk that lies from hell gets broken off in us. Again, your circumstances may declare to you you're an orphan, you're abandoned. But you can say, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Because Jesus hung on that cross, and He was totally forsaken by the Father. So much so, He no longer had that father-son relationship anymore at that moment. It was like, He's just God. He's just God. He's not Father no more. That's pretty abandoned. Mm -hmm. It is, isn't it? So I want you to stand up. I want to pray over you. I want to pray that you get a revelation. Okay, because I believe this stuff comes by revelation, not by hearing a message on it. Message is good, but revelation is ten times better. Okay? The Bible says faith comes by hearing. So you got faith this morning. Because you heard what you heard was true is, is the truth. Hey, y'all pray for Marlon. He's sick. Poor Marlon. He ain't out having a camp. He's not out of a camping trip or beaching like everybody else. He's sick. Okay, so we do need to bless, bless Him. Father, I want to pray for every person in this room. Lord, the Holy Spirit was sent to us and given to us uh, as the spirit of adoption. Uh, and we are believing this morning that people in this room need to get that revelation that they have been brought into the family. And they will never be forsaken again. They will never be left in a worst-case situation where you didn't show up where you didn't do what you said you would do. Now, Lord, there's going to be times when it does not look like it. It does not appear like you showed up. The, the circumstances are going to lie to us. And, and the, the devil is going to say, See, God did abandon you. God did not answer your prayer. But, Lord, I, we're declaring today, when that time comes, we're going to, we, something's going to rise in us. The spirit of adoption is going to rise and tell the devil,
devil, he's a liar, and say he's our father. God is my father. If we get a bad diagnosis, we're going to say, God is my father. I'm not forsaken. He's not going to leave me. If we lose our job, if we don't get our jobs, if people don't love us, we're going to say, today, I believe that the father loves me and I have not been rejected. Lord, release that into the people in this room. In Jesus' name, I ask you. Make that revelation more real, Lord, more real. There's people in this room that don't have a revelation. They have an understanding. Woo, mercy, Lord. Just make it more real, Lord. There's people in this room need to really hear that, Lord, on a heart level. And I'm asking you to do that in Jesus' name. And, Lord, I want to declare uh, that God is a father, and He wants a family. And He's trying to draw the family in. And so, thank you, Lord. Here's something that's really interesting about this whole sermon that that uh, the Lord gave to Byron specifically about that place because that place, Mount Moriah, where Abraham took Isaac, later David purchased that mount because he wanted his, to build a temple for God there. And of course David died and Solomon built the temple. And when Solomon built the temple, he took that spot where Abraham offered up Isaac. And that is where the Holy of Holies was. That's where God's presence rested, was on that spot where Abraham offered up Isaac. And then, another thousand years later, when Jesus was hanging on that cross, at that very Holy of Holies, in that very temple, is where that veil was ripped from top to bottom, so that everybody, not just the priests once a year, but that everybody had full access access to the Father's heart, to the very presence of God. So that very place where Abraham saw, where God said, Abraham, this is where I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And then this is where I want my presence to dwell in Israel. And this is where I want all my children to have 24-7 access to me. That's incredible. That's the Father heart and the full plan 